Welcome, Nexus Church family online to our online service for this week. We pray that it'll be a challenging and encouraging message that will uplift you and connect you to God. Uh, in our service today, we will start out with one song of worship, kind of get us prepared for the message. And we'll have about a half hour for a message, maybe a little less, a little more. And then we'll close it off with a time of reflection with a song at the end. And so today, I would like to open up in prayer as we prepare for today's message. Father, thank you for today. I thank you for the songs that we will sing that are praise to you. I pray that the message that is shared today will encourage those who are listening. And I thank you for them and their lives and their families. And I pray that this week will be a great week as we be a light to our world around us. Stand up and worship the Lord this morning. Truth and grace 
Nexus Church family online, and today begins a new series, a new series where we celebrate the birth of our Savior. In this series we titled Dividing Line, we're going to be seeing how Jesus' birth truly did change all of history. In fact, we've divided history into a time before his birth and after his death. And so today we're going to begin by, by taking a look at how Jesus intercepted the path we were heading down. Much like in this video, we will see how a defender intercepted a quarterback's intended path. Enjoy. Turn back time to the good old days when the mama sang us to sleep. But now we're stressed out. Now they're laughing at the face saying, wake up, you need to make money. 
off, and who is it? Big B.J. Raji for the touchdown. Well, that was uh, quite the, the video depicting how uh, our enemy is much like a quarterback who has a destination for us to go down. He has us on a path that is going towards the end zone of destruction. But this begs the question, and I always wonder this myself, why is it that our enemy, the devil, is so against us? What has gotten into him that he would hate us so much? Well, we have to go back before even humankind was created, before this world was created, to understand what it is that causes him to go after us. And so the very first passage that we would like to dig into today is found in Ezekiel 28, verses 11 through 18. Now, I'm not going to read everything for you today. I'm just going to highlight uh, what it is that that got underneath the enemy. We read in verse 15, you were blameless in all you did from the day you were created until the day evil was found in you. Your rich commerce led you to violence and you sinned. Your heart was filled with pride because of all your beauty. Your wisdom was corrupted by your love of splendor. You defiled your sanctuaries with your many sins and your dishonest trade. You see, at one point, Satan, the devil, he was blessed and favored by God. God gave him so much, but... What he experienced because of that corrupted him. And as Isaiah 14, verses 12 through 14 says, How you are fallen from heaven, O shining star, son of the morning. You have been thrown down to earth, you who have destroyed the nations of the world. For you said to yourself, I will ascend to heaven and set my throne above God's stars. I will preside on the mountain of the gods far away in the north. Here it is. I will climb to the highest heavens and be like the most high. You see, Satan's ultimate goal is to overthrow God's rule, to be God himself. He can never do that. As Jesus perfectly stated in John 8, 44, here, here it is. Satan has been a murderer from the beginning. God is not a murderer. God is good. He has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character for he is a liar and the father of lies. Now, we really do not know why Satan hates God and his rule. We, we really truly don't know what turned him against God. He had everything. He was in God's presence. He was highly favored and blessed. But yet, he allowed the blessings, the favor to corrupt him and to cause him to want to overthrow God. And his pride led him astray. And though he cannot overthrow God because he is not God, 
He did the best thing that he could in his power to impact God's kingdom. And he did that by seeking to destroy God's special creation, people. We read right away in Genesis 3 in this account of God creating his his special prized possession, the enemy coming in and trying to impact right away what God called very good. Listen to this in Genesis chapter 3 verse 1. Now the serpent was the most cunning of all wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did not Did God really say you can't eat from the tree in the garden? Right away, he calls out God's goodness and his character, right? He said, did God really say? Is he truthful? Does he really want the best for you? He's a liar from the beginning, as Jesus said. The woman said to the serpent, Satan, We may eat from the fruit from the trees in the garden, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, you must not eat it or touch it or you will die. Of course, God never said you can't touch it. No, you will not die, the serpent said to the woman. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Liar. Liar, trying to destroy God's special creation because he knows, he knows that as soon as we sin, we can't be in the presence of God anymore. God has to banish his special creation from his presence. And with that, the woman saw that the tree was good and desirable for obtaining wisdom, so she took some of the fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then The eyes of both of them were open, and they knew they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And we know that from then on, our relationship with God was never the same. We read in 1 Peter 5, 8, Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a lion looking for someone to desire, to devour. Our enemy's number one priority is keep people out of the kingdom of God. He can't dethrone God. He can't enter the kingdom of God anymore, but he can disrupt it. He can impact lives who God wants to be in his presence. You see, he wants to take people to the same path he is going down, right? The enemy is going towards the end zone of destruction and eternal wrath, far separated from the goodness of God for all of eternity, and he wants to take as many people with him on his team to that end zone as possible. We read in Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins, right? That's where we were in which you previously walked according to the ways of the world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. And we were by nature children under the wrath as the others were also. 
The enemy began this onslaught against God's people in the Garden of Eden, and he continues today. He continues to go against us today. We read in 1 John 3, 8, Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the very beginning. But here, in this verse, lies the good news of why Jesus came as a human, as a baby. Listen to this. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. The devil was doing such a great job of sending us all down the path of destruction, all to the end zone of destruction until Jesus came. And today I want to read to you from Isaiah chapter 52 all the way through 53 because this is the beauty of why Jesus came. This lays out perfectly exactly what Jesus came to do when he came as a baby. You see, Jesus just didn't come as a baby in in some kind of stable that we picture him as. Jesus came to earth with a purpose. And in Isaiah chapter 52, we read exactly how he did it. In Isaiah 52, 13, we read, See, my servant will be successful. He will be raised and lifted up and greatly exalted. Just as many were appalled at you, his appearance was so disfigured that he did not look like a man. Right? This is talking about not Christmas and this beautiful baby. This is talking about Jesus on the cross. So, he will sprinkle many nations. Kings will shut their mouths because of him, for they will see what had not been told them, and they will understand what they had not heard. Who has believed what we have heard, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of dry ground. He didn't have any impressive form or majesty that we should look at him. No, no appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was like someone people turned away from. He was despised and we did not value him. Yet he himself bore our sicknesses and he carried our pains, but we in turn regarded him as stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. But he was pierced because of our rebellion. He took the wrath of God for us. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb led to the slaughter and like a sheep silent before her shears. He did not open his mouth. He was taken away because of the oppression and judgment. And who considered his fate? For he was cut off from the land of the living. He was struck because of people's rebellion. He was assigned a grave with the wicked. But he was with a rich man in his death because he had done no violence and he had not spoken deceitfully. Yet the Lord was pleased to crush him severely. When you make him a guilt offering, he will see his seed. He will prolong his days and by his hands the Lord's pleasure will be accomplished. After his anguish, he will see light and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many. And he will carry their iniquities. 
Therefore, I will give him the many as a portion, and he will receive the mighty as spoil, because he willingly submitted to death and was counted among the rebels. Yet he bore the sin of many and interceded for the rebels. So much good in that passage, friends. He took our punishment for sins and he perfected us. Not only did he do that, he continues today. He continues today to intercede for those in rebellion. He continues to plead with the Father, Father, move in their life. Please help them to see and understand that the path they are going on, that's far away from us, that that the enemy has them on. They're so blind, they have no clue. They need to hear, they need to understand. Work in their life, do whatever it takes, Father. Help them to see what I did for them. Help them to see that, that I am offering them freedom, joy, And hope. Jesus did that. Jesus intercepted the pass that Satan had us on. He stepped in front of that throw and he picked it off. And he took it to the house. Paul put it this way in Philippians 2 verses 6 through 8. Though he, that is Jesus, was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges, right? His right as God to be in perfection, to be in the most beautiful place, in the presence of no evil, right? He gave that up and he took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being, right? We'll find more out about this next week, but but where did he go? He went to the lowest place into a stable. He showed himself to the poorest people, to the rejected people. He put himself in that place. And when he peered in human form, he humbled himself not only to the people he went to, but he humbled himself in obedience to God and he died a criminal's death on the cross. Jesus went all the way to intercept that path. That path you were going on, he, he did everything in his power so that you wouldn't end in that end zone of destruction. He stepped into the path. He stepped into that path for you. I like how C.S. Lewis put it. He said, the Son of God became a man to enable men to become sons of God. You see, today, the birth of Jesus was much more than coming of a baby. It's way more than that. You see, it was the Father's ultimate defensive play that ended the game forever. The question we must ask ourselves today is, how will I respond to this, right? How will I respond to this greatest gift? I want to have you close your eyes today and and just imagine this with me. I'm not really speaking that you should close your eyes, but imagine this with me, right? The Vikings actually make it to the Super Bowl, right? It's been forever since they've gotten to the Super Bowl. And it's down to the last four minutes and, and they're playing against the despised New England Patriots. 
And as it's four minutes left in the game and the Patriots are going down the field and are about to score the final score that will end the game, right? They're up by three points. A touchdown would put the game away. The Vikings would once again enter the Super Bowl and have nothing to prove for it. But then... As Cam Newton goes back for the pass and he throws it down the middle, Harrison Smith lights up his guy, knocks him down, and our cornerback catches the ball and takes it to the house. A pick six. The Vikings go on to win. What would you do in that moment? If you're anything like me, you'd be kind of like these kids that you're about to see on the screen. You might say that's a little bit obnoxious, but if you're anything like me, if the Vikings did that with four minutes left in the game on the Super Bowl, I would be reacting a lot like that. The point is, Jesus intercepted the path that every single person was going down to destruction forever. That's where we were heading. What kind of celebration should we have in regards to the greatest play ever in the history of mankind. The dividing line that forever changed history. That forever changed your history. What kind of celebration should that invoke? Friends, today, <laughs> celebrating the gift of the incarnation of Jesus. Jesus as God coming to earth to take our place should be the biggest celebration we've ever had. Christmas isn't some passive celebration. It is an all-out thank you, Jesus, for this eternal gift that you've given us. And I encourage you this season to do exactly that. Man, I understand. We're in a time where we don't know what Christmas will even be like at this point. Will we get to be with our family? Will we even get to go to church? <laughs> we don't know. But let me tell you, you don't need to have family around you. You don't need to go to church to celebrate with passion the gift God gave you in Jesus. And so that is my challenge for you today. As we start this holiday season, be all out for Jesus. Give Him all you have. Let Him know that you are thankful that this world is not your home. You have an eternity where there is no more anger, no more sorrow, no more pain, no more weariness. God has given you everything you need. Father, I pray for your people listening today, Father, that, that they will turn whatever kind of remorse and sadness that they are facing today, that they will remember this amazing gift that you have given them eternal life through Jesus. 
Jesus took everything. He intercepted what we deserved, and he gave us full joy, full peace, full eternity. And I pray that you would give that hope to every single person, that they would remember that they are prized by you, that you gave it all for them. May this Christmas season, Father, be totally different than what they've been thinking it would be, Father, that they would have full enjoyment, that they would celebrate with all they have this gift that you've given them. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Nexus Church family online for joining us, and I so look forward to seeing you again next week as we continue the celebration of the greatest gift in all of history.